welcome to this episode of How To Be Bold. If you're anything like me, you absolutely devour interviews with ambitious and successful women. And I'm always interested to know what their secret is. Is it getting up at 5am and working their ass off or sometimes just sheer luck? It is, of course, different things for different people. But one trait has stood out to me that all the women I admire possess. They're bold. I'm Emma Dean and I'm going to be exploring how to be bold with women who, for me, epitomise that very word. Whether going for a promotion, leaving a secure job to pursue a dream career, overcoming a trauma or standing up for themselves or others. In their careers and professional lives, they've taken risks, been confident and courageous. And we've all had times when we've looked back on a situation and wished, if only I'd been more bold. So we'll be exploring those times too and what we can learn from them. In this episode, I'm going to be talking to not one, but two guests. I'm so pleased to be joined by one of my greatest friends, Alex Bertels, and her mum, Patricia Hewitt. Patricia will be best known to you as former health secretary under the Blair government, and Alex has held a number of roles at Talk Talk. She's also recently arrived back from a trek of the Sahara Desert, where she was raising money for the Young Women's Trust. In our conversation, I asked Alex and Patricia about what could possibly be left to achieve on their CVs and why luck has nothing to do with their success. Maybe if we start with you, Patricia, and just if you, in kind of in a nutshell, <laughs> <laughs> if you're able to uh, kind of talk about your career to date and maybe kind of explain if you've got any particular favourite roles that you've had. I think I've been amazingly lucky because I've had so many interesting different things that I've done, none of which I ever really properly planned. Um, But I spent about 10 years being the first women's rights officer and then the general secretary for what is now Liberty, the human rights organisation campaigning for women's rights, all of that. Then, Then I went and worked for Neil Kinnock when he was Labour leader and sort of as part of that helped to set up IPPR, the centre-left think tank, and played quite a role in creating what became New Labour. And then I became a New Labour member of Parliament and a member of the Tony Blair government. You were a Blair slave. Yes. Well, (laughs) (laughs) as I said at the time, you know, I'm 50 and I've got two teenage children and I'm nobody's babe. Thank you very much. It was a classic piece of sexist Daily Mail put down. That's all that was about trying to undermine the fact that we had got 101 Labour women MPs. And it was a great achievement. Um, but I loved I loved being in government, you know, and actually being able to make things happen, and perhaps especially being the health secretary. That was, that was great. Helping to get the uh, smoking ban through, which people still come up to me in the street and say, thank you for that. It was a great thing. <laughs> and then... Since I left Parliament in 2010, I've had a lovely mix of doing not-for-profit and business roles. And now up in Norfolk, where we live part of the time, I'm chairing the partnership that's bringing together all the NHS and social care organisations and the voluntary sector and other people trying to create a much more integrated health and care systems. So lots of different things really fascinating stint in the private sector actually before I came into parliament as well where I learned a huge amount so yeah lots of luck and not a great deal of planning. Alex same question to you. So I have spent the past 
it's coming up on eight and a half years, um, actually, uh, working in uh, the telecom sector for Talk Talk. And it always takes me by surprise when I realise how long I've been there because I think when I joined, I sort of thought I'd do two years because that's what young people did. Old people did jobs for life <laughs> and young people did two years and then kind of moved on to something new. Um, but I've been, uh, I've been really lucky there. I, um, I think about it as kind of doing two terms, which is something my old CEO used to talk about. Um, she said it's good to do two terms somewhere. Uh, so the first half of my life there was very much in the PR and comm space. Um, so started as a press officer, actually on a maternity cover, so really didn't think I was going to stay there at all. And I did, yeah, four years or so doing public affairs, PR, uh, financial PR, B2B PR, um, I'm, which I'm still would not say is one of the strong points on my CV, and then made the leap across into uh, into what people call the business, I guess, um, and went and ran call centres for a little bit, and then into commercial, uh, digital, and at the moment I'm working on building a building and rolling out a new full fiber network in york and beyond um, which is really exciting so taking much deeper into the uh into the engineering um, and technology space but uh really locally community-based actually and i guess that's always been that's always been my passion i started out um, my sort of first real job um, was a labor government program uh, 250 million pound government program to get children from low-income families online at home we really wanted to do something that was quite different from traditional government schemes where you kind of go out and procure a whole bunch of laptops and put big stickers on them saying property of the government these are for poor people basically <laughs> and dish them out and by the time you've gone through that whole process they'd be two years out of date and no one would want to use them and so we set up a uh, consortium of private sector companies to work with I actually interned on it um, with Intel and then Microsoft and then went into public sector to deliver the programme starting in 27 schools to two local authorities to a national rollout with Capita and anybody could kind of go in off the high street and buy them and if you um, were ben if you could benefit from a grant um, you got a prepaid chip and pin card um, for which we worked with some of the payment suppliers on so it was for me, that really amazing mix of leveraging best practice, knowledge, um, innovation in the private sector with a real social cause. And I think that's the thing I've loved about my career at Talk Talk. We've done a lot around internet safety campaigning, now rolling out a full fibre network that no one said could be done. Everyone laughed at us. Um, you know, lots around kind of democratising broadband. And so for me, it's that, it's that mix of you know, private sector kind of drive with um, doing something good for people. And considering kind of that big mix in your career today, is there anything that you still particularly want to try or, or want to achieve, like what's next? <laughs> I have an ongoing joke with uh, my uh, finance director that next will be being CFO, because, you know, why not? I've done everything else now, so I've got no accountancy background, no financial qualifications whatsoever, but hey, I'll give being CFO a go. Um, I think, actually, it's probably something that mum has inspired in me to a certain extent, and um, also my former CEO, Dido Harding, who's incredible and has now made the leap into healthcare, but... Um, health's an area that I increasingly feel really passionate about, um, particularly when um, you look at a lot of the big healthcare issues facing us. Um, a lot of them have links to mental health and well-being. So, you know, obesity, loneliness in elderly people, depression, mental health, um, and mental health is something that's very close to my heart. 
Um, and I think there are amazing things you can do with technology and leveraging more community-based support networks, not looking on the NHS to, to solve everything or be the answer. Um, and so, yeah, healthcare, healthcare and technology, I think that's a really exciting uh, exciting space. So I've just recently started volunteering at uh, Chelsea Westminster Hospital um, to get some on the ground experience, uh, which I'm really enjoying. Um, so yeah, watch this, watch this space. Patricia, what about you? You're at a completely different <laughs> stage in your career. When you, like Alex, you've done so many different things. Is there anything still left to tick? Yeah, well, I am. I, you know, I'm just about to turn 70. And I do, I feel I'm still incredibly lucky because you know, I'm doing several very interesting paid roles and people seem perfectly happy to pay me, so fine, that's very nice, but I will go on doing unpaid roles when people stop being actually wanting to pay me. So, yeah, look, there are lots of things I'd love to do. Um, I have a very close and dear friend in India. So one of the things I'd love to do is go and live in India and work with this wonderful friend of mine, Gita, who years ago set up her own NGO, and it's called Kata. And Kata is Hindi for story. And Gita is a storyteller, and she wanted to write fiction. She wanted to write novels for adults. And then she started writing children's stories for her own children. And then she thought, what's the point of writing children's stories when most Indian children can't read? And she set up a school and a publishing house, and it's just grown and grown and grown. She's quite extraordinary. So really, I would just love to go and work with her. I'd have to learn some Hindi, which I tried to do years ago and completely failed. Um, But I think if I was actually living there, and using it every day, then I might just about manage that. So I'd love to do that. Yes. It sounds like an amazing adventure. Yeah, it would be. It would be a great adventure. I'd love to spend more time in Australia, where I come from, and just walk, walk in the bush, do long, wonderful walks there, preferably with somebody, you know, delivering luggage to, to wherever I was going to sleep. That would be wonderful. I mean, that's a pivot that I couldn't have planned myself because Alex had just gotten back from a trek in the Sahara Desert. So what were you doing in the Sahara Desert? Yes, and there were camels who delivered the luggage. That is amazing. <laughs> that's um, ideal. Including a camel called Alex. Oh, oh. Yes, there was a camel called Alex who delivered my luggage each night, which is very nice. I love it. I haven't heard about the camel called Alex. <laughs> I hadn't heard that you wanted to live in India. Ah, Ah, it's all coming out. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so it's funny actually, I was, um, uh, so I was reflecting on, um, you know, what does being bold mean to you? And I, when I was in primary school, I used to play netball and I quite enjoyed it, I think, at the time. Um, But I definitely wasn't a top athlete by any stretch of the imagination. But I have this, and um, you know, whether it happened exactly like this or not, you know, the m- memory is a funny thing, but I have this vivid memory of my PE teacher introducing me to the upcoming class of kids and, you know, talking to them about how they were going to play netball. They're obviously coming up into the, you know, the higher bit of primary school. And, and she was like, you know, but it doesn't matter if you're not a great athlete or you're not hugely successful, you can still take part and have fun. You know, look at Alex, she, <laughs> she still plays. <laughs> I just remember being absolutely crushed 
I had a very similar experience at netball. It's amazing, isn't it? Because you, you want to be kind of like, it's like so much glamorous at that age of being like one of the key, like A-team netballers. Yeah. You're like, oh, I'm so B-team. <laughs> and so it kind of, it really, it really has stayed with me. And so it turned me off sports for a really long time. So I bunked off PE all the way through secondary school. Sorry, mum. Oh, it's all right. I did the same thing at my secondary school. And, and we did that fine. Yeah, I exactly the same. I never did. I hated sport. <laughs> So it was, so I never saw myself as being a sporty or outdoorsy person. So that was just something that I kind of went, no, I don't, I don't do that. And that was my reaction to that. And that had been my story that I carried with me. And it was only, it's only over the past few years that I've started exercising and, you know, kind of getting more, enjoying being physically stronger and, um, actually, um, I have a personal trainer. Mum has the same personal trainer, which is amazing. Yes. 69 yes and training for old age and um all of that um and so it never you know never even just you know four five years ago would have occurred to me that I could ever do anything like trekking through the Sahara and um I am trustee of a charity an amazing charity Young Women's Trust um and obviously how to be bold um interviewed um our amazing CEO Carol uh, for the first episode. The first episode, yeah. yeah. And they did a partnership with this um, adventure company, um, Global Adventure Challenges, who organise, specialise in organising these kind of track adventures and doing them to fundraise. And I... <laughs> It's honestly, it's one of those real spur of the moment things. I was having a really bad day at work. I was really fed up. And I was like, went on social media for a bit of a break and saw a tweet from Young Women's Trust announcing that they'd just done this partnership and you could sign up for something. And I was like, oh, that sounds like a great thing to do. And so within half an hour, I booked to go to the Sahara. And you have to kind of do that way though, right? Because if you think about it too much, you'll never do it. Yes, exactly. And I sort of thought, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to go do something really fabulous. Mm -hmm. And um, so did four days uh, trekking through the Sahara. I think we did about 124 kilometres. Absolutely breathtaking. Amazing to do it with a really diverse group. There were about 20 of us who were all doing it for various different charities and different personal reasons as well. Uh, We did have a 70-year-old. Yes. So (laughs) I think mum has said she wants to come Mm. next one with me. Yeah, I want to do do a big fundraising adventure type thing. So we're going to have to look for one for your 70th year, I think, next year. Yes, good. Um, And it was was amazing. And it was just one of those things where... um, you know, it's really starting to change change the story, something that you've heard about you. And um, it was great to just get outdoors and see something new and, and raise money. You were raising money. So if people still wanted to donate money, how would they do that? Very good plug. Uh, I have left my Just Giving page open. Uh, so it is, uh, it's, people can still donate on my Just Giving page. There's, there is Alex Bertels. And I'm currently at £2,200 around that. So just over my target, uh, about 108% of target, which is amazing. Uh, And all of the funding is going into helping young women. So providing coaching services uh, in particular for um, disadvantaged young women who are looking to get back into work. Fantastic. We'll put a link to the show notes uh, in there. Um, So you talked about being bold. So does being bold really mean to you that kind of getting yourself out of your comfort zone and doing something that you didn't think you were able to do. Yeah, completely. I think, uh, you know, I look back on making the move from PR into business, you know, business, of inverted commas, and I think, I remember at the time, um, you know, it was something that 
caused a bit of shockwaves actually and probably a bit of laughter kind of amongst some of my PR colleagues at other firms who were sort of going well this is completely batshit crazy talk talk taking their PR girl and putting her in charge of running call centres um and you know I think I had a you know I've been lucky to have amazing mentors and sponsors in my career who really believed in me and I remember actually um you know somebody saying to me at the time that 80% 80% of a job is about your attitude and your aptitude and what you're willing to put into it. 20% is technical skill of what you need to learn. And you can, if you've got the 80%, you can learn the 20%. Um, and it's not about having necessarily having, you know, deep experience in it. If you've got the right attitude, the right mindset, you show that you're capable and you've got a organisation or a boss or a group of people who are willing to support and back you, you know, you, of course you can do it if you put your mind to it. So I think that for me has been the that's been the big bold thing is going and trying new things and that still happens you know I went and took a digital role last year and there were definitely people who were like Alex had never done coding before so how is she going to be able to work and run teams of developers and I had a great time and it's amazing to actually get to learn new things and you know you each bring you bring different things to it there are things I bring that a developer doesn't bring and tons developers bring that I don't bring to online Um, but together actually you can make something make something really great so I think for me being bold is not um not sticking to these kind of boxes that people put you in actually more important than that probably that you you know we put ourselves in I think particularly as a woman as women there's always that um there's always that stat that people say that women look at a job description and if they haven't got 80 percent of what's asked for they won't go for it whereas a man will look at it and if you've got 20 percent, he thinks he'll you know he'll be able to learn the rest and yeah I mean and you have been a massive trailblazer in terms of going and doing that so any of us who kind of work in kind of PR and comms it does often feel like we're kind of put into that box where actually we get a really good overview of how a business is run quite often and you have access to the most senior levels of a business and you get to understand kind of what's on their risk register and what's causing them to kind of stay up late at night Absolutely. and be confident so actually going into the business and wherever it is and being able to kind of go in there and understand yeah. what your business is doing what it's doing and actually just being able to communicate yeah. with Um, the rest of your team and externally about the value that you're bringing it's huge but yeah you've been a massive trailblazer in terms of doing what you're doing so it's yeah absolutely amazing thank you same question to you Patricia what what does being bold mean to you well I was just listening to Alex talking about you know her various transitions and Alex is amazing (laughs) and I'm so proud of her little bias not everything well aren't we all (laughs) not very not very (laughs) but you know I was thinking back to when I was a teenager and actually feeling quite amazed at the thought of how bold I was because I was actually really shy. I was very shy. I was very short-sighted, which nobody had discovered till I was about eight. So I could never play sport, which was the thing you needed to do to be popular at school. So I was kind of, I was shy. I couldn't see properly. I couldn't play sport. Um, I was... I had terrible glasses. I didn't know how to talk to boys. Um, you oh, my know. God, you used to go to birthday parties and read the books that you'd given us. Oh, a yes. Yeah, well, I'd forgotten that. You're quite right, <laughs> especially in primary school, because oh, I was so I was such a little bookworm. Oh. And, you know, I was a really kind of weird kid. <laughs> so, you know, it, yeah, I was not a great... Um, I was not a natural, sociable person. But somewhere along the line, and I think partly because my parents were so encouraging of me, I started doing public speaking and debating. 
as a, as a school kid, secondary school kid, which is kind of ridiculous. It's the last thing you would do if you suffer from agonizing shyness. But although I did suffer from agonizing shyness, I loved a really good argument, still do. And so actually debating and public speaking, I learned how to do it. And in Australia, it was kind of a more formalized thing, I think, than it is here. And I found I was reasonably good at it. And I also found there was an element of you could construct, I didn't know the word then, but you could construct a persona. And so although when I became a member of parliament, I had a terrible reputation of having no sense of humour at all, I was actually a very funny speaker. And I, I mean, I still remember on one occasion I was in for some public speaking contest and I stood up and I sort of looked at this audience and I must have started pulling faces or something because they started laughing, which was exactly what I wanted because it was going to be quite a humorous sort of speech. And I had them laughing before I'd even opened my mouth. And anyway, did quite well. So it was very interesting that, you know, I found a way of starting to overcome the shyness. I started to find a voice, which was what I then took into my campaigning roles and, you know, on women's rights and so on. And I learned that thing, which I suppose is double-edged but of kind of constructing a bit of a persona so that even if you are feeling incredibly nervous you can get out there and talk about or do something and come over as actually much more confident so I mean the irony was that as you know in my 20s I then began to discover people were really intimidated by me because <laughs> I appeared to be incredibly confident and opinionated I mean, and I was very opinionated and brash but because I appeared to be so confident it there was a boldness about it which I now look back on and feel a bit sort of open-mouthed about really kind of god where did that come from I think a lot of people get and so I did um, a lot of drama and theatre studies as a teenager, and it's exactly the same thing. And in inside, I was really nervous, and I was very self kind of self conscious, mm. and always really worried to, about what people thought. Mm. But actually, doing theatre studies at at A level, and people did question that at the time, meant that when it came to doing public speaking or going on Sky News, mm. it was a persona. You yes. learn your lines, you learn your argument, you put on your yep. persona. Mm. And inside of dying, but no one can hopefully knows. tell that. And so yes. it's, it's something that I think that more and more teenagers should be taught to do, whether it's public mm. speaking, debating, mm. drama, anything that kind of teaches you at a young age to... Yeah, and also, yeah just to deal with that horrendous self-consciousness mm. that I think, you know, most of us have yeah. as teenagers. I think the other thing with you about being bold that has, you know, has been a huge inspiration to me and still is, is how much you follow your dreams. You know, you knew, mm. you always knew you wanted to be a member of parliament. Yes. And, you know, you tried in... I did. I 80s. tried in, gone, no, 83. 83, early 80s. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. And, you know, and that didn't work out. Yes. And you did, you worked with Neil and the Labour yes. Party for a bit. Then you yes. went off and did some other stuff. Yep. But you, you went back to it in 97. And and it's, it's, 
it's interesting you say that I always wanted to be an MP because I didn't. I mean, not in the kind of the Michael Heseltine sense. You know, Michael Heseltine, when he was 18 or whatever, you know, yeah. took down a piece of paper and yes. wrote down millionaire by 30, <laughs> MP, prime minister by 40, 50. I mean, you know, whatever. Ridiculous. And very masculine. Mm. You know, mm. certainly for my generation, you'd struggle to find a woman who'd kind of plotted her career in that way. What I did want to do was change the world. You know, so that was fine. It's not a bad ambition to it's have. It's <laughs> not a bad ambition to have. It's a bit nebulous, but, you know, that's fine. It, you know, when you're a teenager, you're entitled to be a bit nebulous in your ambitions. But that was great because that meant, yes, I followed causes that I was But you did later. About. I remember in... I remember when I was growing up, yes. you did really want to be an MP. I did. You went back to it in 97 and you really mm. did. And then actually, you know, you you wanted to get back into healthcare, which you have done now. Yes. And, you know, you're not letting the fact that you're in your late 60s... Certainly not. Stop, um, you know, and so that's a huge inspiration to me is to see that you can... Your career might not take exactly the, the path that you expect it to, mm. um, but you carry on following your, your dreams. And I think that's very bold. Well, thank you. It's It's... Really love you to hear you say that because one of the things I was thinking, both of us have used the word luck. Yes. <laughs> and that's very female. I was yeah. thinking the same yes. thing. <laughs> you know, women talk about how lucky they are. And actually, I, I was with two close friends fairly recently and I said, God, you know, I do feel so lucky. And they both looked at me quite right. And they said, it's not luck. You worked bloody hard, and I can't remember whether they said you planned, but they certainly said you worked hard. Now, that is certainly true. But it's also true that even though, particularly when I was younger, you know, things kind of happened, I then, yes, I, a, point did, a point came where I really did want to become a Member of Parliament, and I really went for it. And I realised... A certain point I really wanted to be trade and industry secretaries cabinet minister for business and you know I just I think Tony had come to that Tony Blair had come to that conclusion for himself but I just let Did it be known <laughs> yes I just had a couple of very quiet conversations and then when I left government one of the things I really wanted to do was just deepen my relationship with India always loved India, had a very Indian constituency in Leicester. And that was interesting because I'd actually gone out of my way to go to a particular conference on India and the people running it six or nine months later came and asked if I would be their chair, the UK-India Business Council. And then more recently when I was coming to the end of that role and I thought, what do I want to do next?, and I thought, well, it absolutely has to be health and social care. And I'd been doing quite a lot of that in relation to India as well. And then I thought, what I really want to do is health and social care in Norfolk, which I love, and then I can spend more time up there, and that would be wonderful. And so I went and just talked to some people and just said, I'd like to be useful in this space, and there are any kind of role, really, and I can be a volunteer and whatever. And... Um, the upshot was I'm now chairing the partnership for Norfolk and Waverley. So um, you can you can make your own luck, um, and you have to really, you need to. 
Definitely. Just because opportunities arise doesn't necessarily mean that you're lucky. It means that you've rested and you've worked and you've had conversations and let me know that you're there and you're good and that you're the person that should be having that opportunity. And actually, you're right, luck doesn't really necessarily come into it as often as we make out. Yes. Um, Yes. Last question from me for both of you. Um, So what's the best piece of advice that you've been given? (laughs) A very wise woman who I'd I'd asked to be a sort of coach to me mid-career. She said, you've got two ears and one mouth, use them in that proportion. (laughs) I mean, to be honest, even though I was shy, I was was a chatterbox as a kid, and I went on being a chatterbox, talking, not listening. And actually, learning to listen and ask better questions, that's been really important. So I wish I'd learnt that earlier, along with exercise. I you're going to say something I said to you. I give you advice all the time. <laughs> you do, and it's always very good advice. Yes. <laughs> like, they're going to pay you too little. Ask for more. Yes. That was great yes, advice. And you, they, you hadn't heard back from them after a couple of days. And I, I would do exactly the same. So you're like, oh, maybe, I, maybe I've asked for too much. I was like, hold your nerve. <laughs> um, I was, I was thinking about this question, actually. I mean, and generally, actually, I ask for advice all the time. So I think it's something that's really important. Um, so, you know, I have my mum, who I call all the time. Um, Dido, you know, I've, I've got lots of people that I ring for perspectives all the time because I think it's amazing if you've got people around to, to ask for advice. But I think the thing I always come back to actually wasn't given directly to me. It was given to you. And it was by Ben Vivian the former yes, chief executive yes, of, BT. of BT. And it was when I was thinking about not going back to university. Yes. And I remember you spoke to him because you were quite worried. Um, and, you know, as was I, because I knew I wasn't going to have a degree, but, I, you know, for my kind of mental health and well-being, and I was, I'd started working and I was loving working and it really felt like the right decision, but I was very aware that not having a degree could be problematic later in my life. And... I remember you told me that he said to you, um, some people go in a straight line, other people take a more roundabout path, but they both end up in the same place. That has stuck with me and I come back to that all the time, which is, you know, we might not go in a straight linear path, but that doesn't mean you can't. can't Or you might not follow the conventional path. The conventional path, path, exactly. Yes. How very true. And especially as most people are living longer yeah mm-hmm. the idea of just school education work retirement is ridiculous it never worked for women anyway but it's completely ridiculous mm. if my father is 101 and a half <laughs> terrifying <laughs> you know but it does mean you don't need to think in terms of a conventional path. You've yeah. long enough to do lots of different things in different ways. Yeah, so I love that. And yes. I always I always come oh. back to that as, I think, a wonderful piece of advice to remind you that if you're thinking about doing something that's a little bit off the beaten track or not quite, yes. you know, the status quo, um, you know, and it... Go it, for it. Go for it. And there are definitely, of course, there were jobs I applied for. And, you know, I know I didn't get past the sort of HR tick box blind because I didn't have a degree or didn't look quite right. Mm. But then I found other people who've been willing, you know, who have seen, you know, seen something in me, who have, 
you know valued my work and it's you know I'm really happy with where I've you know, with where I've ended up. I think that's some really good advice. I think anybody who's kind of going through their teenage years at this point or really any point of their career, especially when you've been working for 10, 15 years and you're suddenly at the point of the, well, what do I do now? I think that mm, kind yeah. of, that boost that actually it will be all all right and this kind of rise of multi-hyphenates is... Totally. And then, uh, shows that it's all going to be fine. Yeah, and also, you know, <laughs> the other thing I'm learning is that it's not too old to take the leap. You know, I think there's this kind of... Um, I always think about it, actually. I particularly thought about it a lot in the when I was doing a digital role, um, you know, we talk about how we've got such a lack of uh, particularly female talent in mm. STEM. And, um, we, you know, we focus so much on school age education, which of course is critical. But, I, you know, I look at me, I'm 32. We didn't learn computers properly when mm. I was at school. Mm. Um, we did some stuff with Word and we made newsletters. I got time to Google when I was yeah. at school. That's how long ago it was. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, and so you go, well, actually, hang on, why should I be cut out of a whole workforce mm. And, mm. and life mm. in, in a sector just because I'm 32? So I think it's, you know, it's actually this kind of, you know, we're all working longer, sectors are changing. I think it, it's not, um, I've got no experience in healthcare, but I'd love to take the lead one day. Mm. Um, and my age and shouldn't be a shouldn't be a stop to that. Definitely. Well, this has been amazing. Thank you both so much for your time and your insight and the fact that you're so inspirational. Um, I get a lot of having both of you in my lives actually, and um, I'm sure a lot of people will be listening to this as well. So thank you for your time. Oh, thank thank you. you. It's been great. Thank you again to Patricia and Alex for joining me. I hope you enjoyed listening to our conversation as much as I enjoyed chatting to them. We have some equally fantastic women joining me over the next few weeks, so I do hope you'll listen in again. And I'd really love to hear from you. If you've got any feedback, please do rate and leave a review. And you can also follow us on Instagram at howtobebold. So that just leaves me to say thank you for listening in and till next time.